podcast this week, Jake Gyllenhaal drops by to talk about his new film, Nocturnal Animals, while I get so dazzled by the hair of Doctor Strange star Mads Mikkelsen that I ask him the stupidest question of all time. All that and more on the movie podcast that enjoyed the last episode of The Great British Bake Off, but didn't expect the body count to be quite that high. Weird. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Forgive me today for not being my usual ebullient self, but Bake Off has gone. Great British Menu is going. Hotch has been kicked off, or kicked himself off, criminal minds. What's the point, frankly, of carrying on? There is nothing left. All is dread. All is despair. <laughs> What? This week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both of whom have plenty of great TV shows keeping them going over the next few weeks. First up is our... <clears throat> well, first up is our geek queen, a lady whose favourite show, My Two Shirtless Brothers, is still going strong in its 54th season. Please welcome to the podcast, Hamilton O'Hara. Sorry. <laughs> Helena Hamilton. Sorry. Hello. Hello, Hamilton. How are you? <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. Cut there in the end. He's back in London, people. Be on the lookout. Lin Manuel Miranda is in <laughs> this very city. He is. You, there, you know, there's an appreciable uptake in the uh, uptick in the genius level around. Yeah. Can you feel it? How's he getting around town? Uh, do you not have a Hamilton reference in response to that? I'm sure you do. <laughs> I mean, he's probably. not throwing away his oyster. Is that, that's no, not that's thing. the only thing I know from Hamilton. I know it is. <laughs> you need to learn another line, dude. My wife... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my wife uh, played... Yes, my wife... Oh, drinking game. My wife um, played... She she listens to the, the soundtrack. And yes, she played she the first five songs from me the other day. Yeah. Good. It's mm. a start. Yeah, I like the beats and the shouting. Uh, <sighs> next up, we have our art house guru, uh, a man whose favourite TV show... It's the Great Bulgarian Existential Bake Off, which is a lot like the British Bake Off, but it's black and white, subtitled, and has nothing but scorn for Hollywood. <laughs> it's Phil Dissemblian. How are you? Good. Yeah? Yeah. That was a surprisingly morose opening. I'm just a little, I'm, I'm in a funk, man. I'm in a funk. Bake Off's gone. <laughs> You've got a slam dunk to funk, Chris. I mean, come on. <laughs> Bake Off is gone. Do you feel Bake sad off about is gone. it? I feel really sad about it. it you know, it's a... Uh, it, it won't be on our screens next year. It won't be on Channel 4, you know, until 2018. It won't have Mel and Sue, who are brilliant at what they do. It won't have Mary Berry, you know. It's got Paul Hollywood, but... Yes. It's not the same. It's just one ingredient. It's like eating raw flour. Like, it just doesn't, you know, you need yeah. the sugar and the butter and the eggs in yeah. there. I'd never seen it before this season, but I just got so bored of people talking about... Victoria's sponges. What is even wrong you with you? To. They barely talked about Victorian sponges. In the office. Oh, well, oh, right. I mean, obviously, okay. yeah, fair yeah. enough. There's yeah. nothing, but I mean, I, I don't know of many more interesting topics than a Victoria sponge. I mean, and even <laughs> last night, Mary Berry was advocating buttercream in the middle. What? Cream or GTFO, quite frankly, no, GBBO? GBBO. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I was mm. appalled. Appalled. I, I, I made a cake. Did you? Last year. Wow. It was very successful. And it was a Victoria sponge. It was Sophie Dahl's Victoria sandwich recipe uh-huh. with um, raspberry jam Correct. and an orange 
Correct. Uh, cream. <laughs> you cake explaining, Chris. <laughs> I just don't like strawberry. Let me tell you, on the great Bulgarian existential bake-off, you have none of these problems. Too yeah, much ingredients. But that's because all they make is and ennui. Oh, that's because all they Equal make measures. is dark rye bread. Leave to die slowly they, over decades. Yeah, they leave to get stale, and then they, you know, okay, either it bakes on it. or it doesn't bake. That's just generic Eastern European <laughs> accent. It was kind of French. Okay. But I like to think that uh, that, that um, Jean-Paul, the character that I just created mm. there, uh, <laughs> he, obviously born in Paris, I think you, you find that was, yeah, that was the 14th arrondissement, I believe, that the accent oh, was sourced that was, from. That was very good. Oh, it's fancy, the 14th. Mm. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> and he moved to Bulgaria mm. to pursue his dreams of becoming a sommelier. Mm. A sommelier is sommelier. Yeah. Really? Well, no, baking's a hobby. Oh, I see. Wine is his life. Wine is my life. A Frenchman moves to Bulgaria to be a sommelier. This, it looks like, it sounds it's to me like you just looked up the plot, a plot line of Ratatouille 2. Very difficult it's industry just... to break into. <laughs> it's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> What's going on? I'm sorry. Anyway. Hi. And Hotch, Hotch is leaving Criminal Minds. Who's Hotch? What's that? Hotch is... Do you not Never know this? Mind. Do you not no. know this story? No. Never you know mind. Thomas Gibson... The long reigning star of Criminal Minds, the great FBI procedural show that is currently in its uh, bit like Supernatural, fifty-fourth season, yeah, um, was fired from the show recently for uh, getting involved in an altercation with a writer on set. He was directing an episode, and he got involved in an altercation with a writer, and is alleged to have kicked said writer, and and then was um, fired from the show. As if that's a fireable event. Apparently, kicking someone. Is I mean, if that's wrong, then I don't want to be right. What is what what potential scenario? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Chris is kicking me. I'm kicking you on the desk. Stop it! You're a much bigger man than I feel. What potential scenario would involve a star of a show having to kick a writer? It seems like it might have escalated quickly. I don't like well that adjective. Thank God nobody had a trident. It'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do we have a question? Please. Okay. The question's from Facebook. And it's from Carl Jackson, and he asks, in essence, because I haven't got it written down, who's our favourite Scream Queen? Right, should we do this on three? Okay. Okay? Because we're all going to say the same name, right? Sure. Okay. Okay. So, three, two, one. Isabel Quigley. Oh. What? (laughs) What? What? What did you say? Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously. What, What did you say? I said Isabel Hubert. <laughs> You're a parody of yourself. <laughs> Did you say Jamie Lee Curtis as well? No, I said Linia Quigley. Oh. <laughs> well, that wasn't very that, good. Well, it worked out pretty well. I thought we, you know, we we hadn't rehearsed that in any way, shape, or form, so that, that worked out pretty well. Um, okay. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. It's Jamie I mean, Lee Curtis. It, it, the, the, the very term is basically a description of her. Mm. Yes. Isn't it? You know? Well, is it not... Her mum. Her mum, but her mum actually only really had one scream. I mean, yes. it was the scream heard around the world, but if it is you will. The scream but... queen, not the screams queen. Hmm? Oh, mm, I don't know. But, but it definitely runs in the family, like a talent for screaming. Did you, know? you just describe it as a scream that was heard around the world? I did. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I Except wonder what it you wasn't do. though, because Hitchcock obviously made, made ensured that it was kept secret. Yeah, but eventually, eventually it was heard yeah, around guess, the world, yeah. you know, just okay. like not, you know, It before. went viral. You just couldn't walk in the middle of the film and then yeah, hear yeah. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I wonder how you look after your voice if you're screaming all day. Like, do you do you have to gargle a lot of honey or whatever? You know, because it's all from the throat. Like the diagram, the diaphragm doesn't doesn't come into it so much. So, you know. It is a challenge. I mean, I would my choice would be a challenge. would be Shelley Duval. 
for Ooh, this. Oh, yes, no, that's for The Shining, Purely because of The Shining. Yeah. She didn't have Jamie Lee Curtis's body of screaming work. Sure. She did have this one <laughs> performance. The body, if you will. And, the, and what she was put through to buy Kubrick yeah. to get there is just brutal. True. So she, I think she deserves at least an honourable mention. Um, but yeah, like as you were saying, she she was. I think the 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 the, the scene with the baseball bat she'd shot a hundred and forty odd times, and she ran out of tears. Yeah, <laughs> which sounds yeah. like the subtitle for the Great Bulgarian Existential <laughs> Bake Off. We've run out of tears. Um, so and, we're going to have to use baking soda. Yes, because, well, she had to have oh, no. extra water just to keep herself. She just Kubrick was trying to turn her into a giant human raisin just by <laughs> leeching her of her essence over a period of. <laughs> After- weeks and weeks and weeks. So of they, this. he really was after their bodily fluids. Is that Pretty much, okay, wow. yeah. But he wouldn't <laughs> let anyone on set talk to her, encourage her, give her any feedback. It was a brutal bubble of hell that he put her in. This, I mean, this and as a, as a as a reward for this, she yeah. got nominated for a Razzie. Oh. Which seems Michelle Duval. Yeah, for that film. I, 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 yeah, I'm not a big fan of her in that film. Are you not? Oh no. my goodness. Um, I, I do think that, that I hope that that's going out of style, and I don't think it is that that idea that directors put especially women through hell for you know to reach a certain point. I mean, famously, uh, Kim Basinger in Nine and a Half Weeks was just put through the ringer completely um, because her director didn't trust her to get to the performance. Otherwise, um, I don't know. Maybe you should hire actors, guys. You know, I just feel like and and then trust them to act. It's just a, a radical notion. Hey, I'd like to put in a, a word for Faye Ray, um, the original, if you will, um, for King Kong. She was obviously told when she was hired, uh, at least so the legend goes, that she'd be working opposite the tallest, darkest man in Hollywood. She thought Clark Gable. She was wrong. It was, of course, King Kong. Um, Yes. So that there was some impressive screaming. The first screen queen, would you the say? The first screen queen. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not well versed enough in my very early cinema to know if there were some. I mean, there was some amazing screaming in the silent era, but of course we can't really yes. judge them on their decibels there. But in terms of scream faces, the silent era had some greats. Um, she spent the virtually the whole shoot in the palm of this one ape hand. <laughs> that was all she saw of King Kong. Yeah. So she called her autobiography on the other hand, oh, right. which I like. <laughs> of course, nowadays she'd obviously be working closely with Andy Serkis, who would be just Indeed, lifting yeah. her. Yeah. I guess, but um, yeah, that's a good pick. Yeah. That's a very good pick. What else we got? I like Neve Campbell. Neve Campbell, yeah. Yeah. The queen of queen, queen of scream. If you will. Scream, scream, scream. She's she's a literal scream queen. Very mm. good. Uh, there are there are a couple of uh, actresses who, because do you want to confine it to people who've just done one movie, mm. or you know, do you have to earn the sobriquet over a couple of movies? Like Jamie Lee Curtis did a, a bunch of horror films. You know, see the ones John Carpenter, but also movies like Terror Train. Yeah. Um, prom night but I'm going to throw you know I said Linia quickly at the beginning that you know she's a uh, star of movies like Return of the Living Dead where she doesn't necessarily do much in the way of screaming mm. she does take her clothes off in a cemetery that's neither here nor there uh, but there's also <laughs> there's Barbara Crampton who's the star of uh, Stuart Gordon's H.P. Lovecraft movies so Reanimator and From Beyond mm-hmm. she does a hell of a lot of screaming in those and she's kind of been rediscovered or reconfigured if you will by the uh, current horror funderkints people like people like Adam Wingard so she's in Your Next and 
so she's been rediscovered by those people which is uh, which is really really great to see so yeah but you know for me it's it's someone who's not just screaming in one film but screaming across a body of work yeah and of course you know why should it just be Scream Queens what about Scream Kings surely there are blokes out there you know who are equally being chased around uh, in the final act of horror movies by evil things uh, why shouldn't you know they, they're, they're screaming as well Bruce Campbell's got a hell of a scream on him a hell of a pair of lungs hmm. he does a good old yell a good ah <laughs> uh, oh Sarah Berry in Evil Dead 2 who plays Annie her scream her scream is so distinctive that I swear uh, every now and then, if you watch a football match on TV you'll hear a woman yelling in, in the audience usually uh, weirdly enough at Spurs I think hmm. there's a and I keep thinking it's her there's a very distinctive <laughs> scream of kind of very high pitched uh-huh. very you know here's a question do we have to do they have to be horror movies C- can you include thrillers well, yeah so, uh, Halloween's coming up I guess that's why we're st- yeah of course of course but um, Maybe for horror. I mean I guess you could say <laughs> Black Swan is a horror movie yeah but I think Natalie Portman qualifies mm-hmm. okay for that in a way yeah do we think or is you saying that that's to to find screen queens how much, so, how much screaming someone, is in Black Swan how much actual... You need to do actual screaming. It can't be metaphorical screaming. I, I would say <laughs> howl of despair. I mean, screaming into the void doesn't count, is okay. that what you're saying? I mean, obviously, yeah, the great Bulgarian existential bake-off is full of, of voiceless screams, which is really weirdly open the oven. It's just... It's a hell of a program. Um, um, okay, so yeah. would Mike Monroe in It Follows count as a scream queen? Y- yes. She, I would, doesn't she doesn't scream a lot. In the movie. Does she not scream at all? Not as far as I'm aware. No. I think she does, doesn't she? It's hard to tell because I was screaming. <laughs> yeah, maybe um. that's it. But she's very, you know, she she uh, she she gets it together, I'd say, fairly fairly early yeah. on. Um, it's interesting because, obviously, the, the concept of a scream queen, obviously the title scream queen derived from people in the late 70s and early 80s, slasher movies, people like Jamie Lee Curtis and PJ Souls and people like Adrian King from mm. Friday the 13th, 1 and 2... Maybe Heather Langkamp in the Nightmare Before Elm. Uh, no, Nightmare Before Elm Street. Nightmare Before Elm Street. Yes. Oh, prequel. <laughs> it's prequel, a fun eh? musical. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So it derived from from people like that, um, uh, from the, the concept of the final girl, if you will, mm. in, in movies. But again, we were talking about people who had a, a body of work. You know, people who would appear in one, two, three, maybe four of these movies of of horror films. And I think that the modern actor tends to want to avoid that. Yeah. So, Micah Monroe hasn't really been in a another horror film besides It Follows. Unless you count The Guess, which I think was before. That is true. That is true. She it's does, an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Lehane on Twitter was having a, a discussion about genres last week. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is The Silence of the Lambs a horror or a thriller, for example? Mm-hmm. Now, for me, that's a full-on thriller because I think the police element and, and the sort of the, the matching of wits... Mm-hmm. makes it a thriller but you can't deny there are definitely horror elements to it mm-hmm. um, and where do you kind of draw the line with some of these even Scream is it a thriller or is it a horror mm. I don't know is it, is it, I, would, I would say Scream is a horror but um, I would it's, too it's, uh, it's interesting because you also have for someone like for example Anya Taylor-Joy mm. who is in The Witch and Morgan and Split Shyamalan Split and you could argue all those are horror films I don't know how much screaming she does in total all the way through them because she's not necessarily the person being chased uh, but that's that's interesting there's someone who seems to be 
not running away from horror films. Yeah, that, that concept of, of horror films. I think it's I think it's really really interesting. Well, there's some there's some great great horror being made right now. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how the genre is developing. Um, yeah, we may have some great new ones in future. And of course, you also have the, this sort of subset of of heroines and horror movies who don't scream. And who are very, very, and they keep themselves together, and they, and they, they, you know, they attack the threat. Uh, Laurie, you know, Cardiel in, um, in Day of the Dead, for example, is is absolutely not a scream queen. Uh, Scorny Weaver in Alien, absolutely not a scream queen. Uh, but yeah, mm. and so anyway, Jamie Lee Curtis. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, do send us in your pictures of your favourite Halloween cakes to us uh, at Empire. But yeah, yeah, email us at cakes at empireonline.com. <laughs> no. uh, if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast. In fact, you should use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We're also on Facebook as Carl Jackson has discovered. Yes. Prolific sender of questions, Carl. Thank you for your question. Um, uh, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for our first guest, Doctor Strange, opened this week in the UK, and I jumped at the chance to talk to the man playing its villain, the great Dane himself, Mads Mikkelsen, he of Hannibal fame, he of Le Chiffre in uh, Casino Royale fame, and he of Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt fame, of course. Um, all went well. I was fairly prepared. I, I did make a joke on Twitter about how I was underprepared and asked people for questions, but that was a joke. I had everything together. I knew what I was going to ask. Then he walked into the room with the most perfect hair I've ever seen, <laughs> and it just threw me, completely threw me. And I asked a very, very stupid first base cliche <laughs> question to kick things off and spent the rest of the interview struggling to recover, quite frankly. Uh, Mads was great. Me, not so much. So enjoy this interview. Well, I say enjoy... We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Mads Mickelson. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Excellent. It wasn't too late at night last night at Westminster Abbey? Uh, late, but not too late. Okay. How was that experience for you? It was fantastic. I mean, uh, standing in such an iconic place, it was surreal. Mm. A little blasphemic, actually. Sometimes we were taking photos and standing on people's graves. <laughs> yeah, that's always the strange part. Yeah, it is a, weird. a place like that, but it must be one of the most surreal moments of your career, I guess, mm-hmm. going to Westminster Abbey and... Absolutely. Yeah, being involved with a, a movie like this. Um, of course, you've got this, you've got Doctor Strange and Star Wars uh, Rogue One uh, coming up as well. Does that mean you have, you've been given the freedom of Disney? <laughs> you, you can go to all the Disney parks, you can do whatever you want in Disney. You have a point. I yeah. should ask for that. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You should never have to pay for a theme park again. That's a good idea. <laughs> Just get it sorted out. What attracted you to this, this movie? Because I imagine post-Hannibal... You have been given, you've been offered lots of quote unquote bad guy roles. Mm-hmm. Well, a few. Uh, it's, it's not been like um, uniquely going that way. I've also been offered other things. But this is obviously, it's Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up with Marvel comic books and later on I've seen all the films. Yeah. So I am a huge fan of what they're doing with the, with, with the books and putting them up on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, was Benedict was playing Doctor Strange, which I thought was an absolutely fantastic choice. I can simply not imagine anyone else doing it. And then thirdly, uh, a lot of flying kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting 50 years for that. Is that something you practiced at home as a kid? Constantly. I... I was Bruce Lee. I mean, I was a small, skinny version of Bruce Lee when I was a kid. (laughs) Without the flying, obviously. Well, I tried. (laughs) I gave it a shot. So, as as a comic book fan, uh, did you read comics then growing up? Is that something that... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I was... uh, 
very dedicated. I was obviously the Marvel Universe was familiar to me, but I also read a lot of other things, a lot of European uh, graphic novels. Mm -hmm. Will Eisner, I love Will Eisner oh, yeah. and the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it was a huge part of my my upgrowing. Well, that's interesting because uh, I think a lot of these pe a lot of people who uh, who come to comic book movies mm -hmm. don't necessarily know the source material. No. So Doctor Strange was something you were actually yeah, familiar with. I was familiar with it. I mean. As you can see in the film, and if you are familiar with the comic books, mm. you will also know that when you're seven years old, you won't grasp the, the fully philosophy of, of, of the novels. Yeah. Uh, but you can enjoy the colors, the character, and, and the magic. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's the part I remember vivid. Okay. So Marvel come to you and ask you to play Caecilius. It's a very interesting character. There's a, there's a sense that runs throughout the movie that he is a, a man to whom something terrible has happened in the past, something truly, truly awful. Yes, it? obviously we have a background story. It's not super important for, for the actual story, but it's, yeah. it's always nice for, for an actor to know that. But And throughout that journey of losing everything he had, um, he becomes his master sorcerer. But eventually he also becomes extremely disillusioned with the, especially the ancient one, yeah. who is the mentor. She's like a wonderful demagogue, a dictator, yeah. who promises everybody that we will share. We all get a thousand dollars, except me, I get a billion. And that, that fact, he, he just can't, he can't live with it. I mean, yeah. that's not democracy, that is just unjust. Yeah. He wants to have a slice of that cake. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very complex attitude uh, towards the towards the ancient one. Without giving too much away, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that his the first words we hear you speak, the first word we hear you speak in the movie is hypocrite mm. uh, towards right. the ancient one. So that's a very interesting relationship to explore. And, and he's right. She's yeah. a hypocrite. I mean, they're both thriving on a, a, a certain source to get their powers. Yeah. And obviously she thinks she's doing it in the right way. And But who is she to judge? That's the interesting thing about the Marvel movies. It has the color. It has the whiz bang action. It has the the humor. But there's also a layer of depth mm. to these movies that you wouldn't normally get in blockbusters. I think that's that's probably fair to well, say. I think so. I think. Yeah. I mean, as I said before, there's a philosophic part of the whole thing, which mm. is all obviously very very clear in the comic books as well. But the whole discussion about eternal life is very interesting. It's, it's something that the human race has been discussing since they could talk. You know? Yeah. Inventing God, inventing Satan, inventing reasons to be here, yeah. and simply always asking the question, "Why am I here, and why does it stop?" Yes, absolutely. There's a, a really interesting line that you have in the movie: "Time is an insult." Absolutely. Uh, death is an insult, but yeah. the, the, the time is an insult thing. Really, really, really. And it is. Me. I mean, yeah. if you look at it from his perspective, and <laughs> basically from everybody's perspective, it is an insult. It's mm. simply we can't get our heads around it. Why? And when we can't get an answer for that question. We look towards religion to get an answer, right? Yeah. We're all subject to the aging process. Do you, do you find, as you get older, that... Do you find, do you agree with that, that time is an insult? You seem to be aging yeah. very well, sir. Thank you so much. Well, uh, I'm not as furious as, as my character, Cassilius. <laughs> I've, I've come to terms with the fact that even in my optimistic math book, there's only half of the life left, you know, if I'm lucky. That's annoying because I, I really think it's a funny life and I would like to have at least one more ride at the carousel. <laughs> but, uh, but it's not really in my hands. Right? Is this, is this uh, career-wise at least, the best part of your career so far? 
uh, this moment right this now? This moment right now. I don't know. I mean, it, it, for me, time is just floating in, in different directions. I, I, I try not to stop up and say, this is it. Uh, it's going different directions nonstop. And uh, there's nothing I really can do to control it. But I'm really pleased at this moment. Mm. But where it's going from here, I have no idea. <laughs> because there are always interesting points in an actor's career. There are always choices you can make as an mm. actor. And I think most recently, in the last 10 years, you make, you make a Casino Royale and you play the Chifre and suddenly you're on the global stage. Right. And you have, at, at that moment, as an actor, you have choices to make. And I imagine, again, properties are, are being offered to you and, again, quote-unquote, mm. bad guy roles are being offered to you. Uh, you didn't necessarily go down that road. No, I, I didn't. I mean, uh, you're right that uh, to a degree from America, it's the bad guy roles. And, yeah. and, and if the alternative is not to do anything in America, I'll, I'll take it any time. Yeah, absolutely. So, but back home and in Europe in general, I, I've done numerous different things. Precisely. I've a father, uh, I've been a doctor, i played um, an accused man of injustice. Uh, and So there I've, I'm not starving in the sense of like uh, the hero parts. I mean, they, they exist in my life. And I try not to divide them up into good and bad guys. I, I read the script, I talk to the director, and, and if, I've, if I can feel that he has a, a vision with, this, uh, with his, his work, then I'm, I'm jumping on board. Is, uh, is Denmark still home for you? Absolutely. I, um, I still have a base in Copenhagen. Okay. But you, you flip back and forth? Because the, the, the America thing is always interesting. The, the, mm. It's a deliberate choice to go there and to do blockbusters. And as you say, you're doing incredible work in Europe as well. Yeah, and, and back and forth. I mean, I've, I've actually never, ever worked in America. All the American productions I've done has been <laughs> shot in Europe. Yeah, so uh, I've, there's never been a reason for me to, to move and bring my family to L.A. and I'll go back and work in Romania. <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense. I have to ask about Hannibal as well, because obviously it, it came to an end. Many people, I included, feel prematurely. Mm. Is it still? I mean, there was there was talk that it might flourish once more. You might be able to do a, a movie or something. As far as you're concerned, is, is that is that gone now? Well, everything at this point is, is gone, uh, and and most importantly, right now, Brian Fuller is gone in the sense that he's <laughs> working on on Star Trek. Right, he's. Uh, the soul and life and heart behind the whole thing and without him there is no Hannibal so but if he decides to pick it up again and and, and he f- can find a channel that will eventually uh, help us out I think everybody would jump on board absolutely were you happy with how it ended but you know Hannibal can end uh, uh, every season that they make a finish that that works right because yes. we never know if it's, if it's <laughs> going to be renewed uh, yes I think it's a, a wonderful open ending it's, it's a very Sherlock Holmes Moriarty moment <laughs> it really is. I mean, it was such a it's such a wonderful, complex show. Obviously, Brian Fuller is a brilliant, brilliant person. Did you know going into it how complex it would be and how dark it would? Yeah, I had a, a fairly good hunch. He, Brian was pitching. He had ten minutes to pitch uh, the two seasons, and after three hours, he was still going on, and he was <laughs> in, in season fourteen or something. And I, I was just watching this man. It's like everything came out of him. He had so many ideas, and it was so dark and so radical. And I, I just loved everything that uh, that he came up with. And uh, on a similar scale, I guess you have also someone like um, Kevin Feige at Marvel. Mm. Is Kevin how Doctor Strange came about for you? Did he? Did you hear from him first, or how, or how did this happen? I heard from Scott. Okay. Uh, Scott gave me a, a phone call, okay. uh, and, and and he was pitching the whole story there. Uh, so I know that Kevin is also the mastermind behind a lot of things, but he also let Scott be the translator of that, be the director. So so our our touch with the Marvel universe was through Scott. 
and I think that's the way it should be. I I need one director and, and one guru when it comes to one <laughs> film. Uh, so, but I'm sure that Kevin and Scott has had numerous uh, long talks together and late at night. And how did Scott pitch this to you? Well, that's I said. The magic words was flying kung fu eventually, that's but it. but he was just uh, talking about the story about the Doctor Strange in general, and and, and the story is, is mesmerizing, and Benedict fills out those shoes completely. The action part was definitely something I cherished. Oh, really? How, how, how was that for you? Because I, was it a lot of green screen? I a lot of green screen, yeah, yeah, definitely. But also a lot of sets that was actually built. I mean, you get surprised how much they, they actually have there phys- physically. But yes, when we do flip around with buildings, that is, <laughs> that's green screen. <laughs> and it, it didn't have an enormous impact on us in the sense that we, we always have uh, each other for a dialogue or for a fight scene or somebody to, to interact with. Uh-huh. Once in a while, we are in the midst of the whole thing. Uh-huh. And, and then we have to go and watch this little animated version of the scene they already done so uh-huh. we can get a fairly good idea what's up and what's down and, and, and where is Trafalgar Square now. <laughs> Which is, uh, of course, accurate because the opening of the movie takes place just around the corner. Just around the hotel. corner, yeah. yeah. I saw that the other day. Yeah. yeah. Were you were you filming here? Or was yeah, it, uh, we were shooting on there. I think yeah. they sealed it off on a Sunday and it was very cold but uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 and no green screen, of course. Uh, no green screen? Uh, no, uh, yeah. But... Um, Super cool to stand in the midst of London and and uh, make it fall apart and run around in the, yeah. in that in that cracking costume of yours. Yeah. I, I I spoke to Benedict and I asked him was there a moment when he felt that he was Doctor Strange and he said it was you know filming in Times Square running around and those famous shots of him mm. and, and Chiwetel leaping up and down in the air and you were around for those those scenes as well in Times Square. Mm. But was there a moment when you felt Okay, this is it. I am Caecilius. Pretty early in the process, I think, yeah. because they, you know, putting on bits and pieces of the costume. And, but eventually, when they had the whole costume there, and when we had the mad and crazy makeup on, you realize that I'm not in a kitchen sink drama film. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I am in a Marvel film, and uh, and it felt good because I don't think we could justify running around in Adidas and doing what we're doing. No, this is true. This is very true. Was it cumbersome? Those robes. They, they were they were cool. I mean, it, they were slightly heavy to begin yeah. with, but, but the more we trained and worked out, the stronger we got. And but in the very beginning, I couldn't imagine that I would be able to fly around in it because yeah, twenty pounds or something. Right? Uh, but <laughs> but we got there. And how was the flying kung fu for you? How, amazing. After, after all those years. Yeah, after training. all those years. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I realized that they, they couldn't fly in those days. They actually used wires. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so did we. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the wire work is, is really, really fun because you, that's a dance with the, with the stunt guys. You have, they have to understand how you move and be right at the spot where you jump and turn around and to give you a little aid. And that, that is a wonderful uh, cooperation to, to have with the stunt guys. I've spoken to many actors over the years who've done a lot of wire work, a lot of harness work, and um, they say it can be quite delicate on your person. Yes. Yeah, on the unmentionables. Absolutely. Uh, and, and how was it, it for you? The trick is, I mean, if, if you tighten it too much, you can't really move. Yeah. And if you tighten it too little, you will get in trouble. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, the trick is to, you know, screw over to one side and, and cross your fingers and hope for the best. <laughs> hope for the best. And you have, you, you say the makeup, the Cassilius has this interesting yeah. appearance. Him and his uh, followers, the, yeah. the zealots, the closer they get to their, their mentor, their guru, the more physical it, it will show. Uh, and the more uh, dedicated they are, the more physical it will show in their faces. And I think it's a, it's a cool little trick or gimmick or whatever you want to call it. But, yeah. but it looks really awesome, especially up close. It's almost like a whole world full of cracks. And that was actual makeup, was it? That was real makeup. Okay. It was about two hours every day. 
I have to ask about one of your co-stars who listens to this Empire podcast, Scott Atkins. Yeah. Uh, how was it working with, with Scott? <laughs> Great. I mean, he's uh, obviously, he's... Um he is a master of the flying kung fu world. Really. He can actually fly, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much so. Well, I spent a lot of time with, with him and, and the other zealots, so we, we had a great time. And um, it's always fun to be around people who know stunts the way he does, because mm -hmm. it, it's unavoidable that there will be a competition going on really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I just embrace that. I think it's so funny. Okay, so even if it's someone who's trained in, mm. in physicality, I'll take him on as an actor. You take him on absolutely. Oh, yeah. Did you have sling ring competitions? Because I was just I was fascinated by the way you guys did. You have do you have to go to like Doctor Strange boot camp? Or yeah, yeah, we did a boot camp, but not not yeah. so much a sling ring competition. Boot camp, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we had a, a um, one of the guys on my team was Julian. Um, he was he was the master of, of all these gestures, and he was teaching us how to do it. And the, and the issue was that his hands were so flexible and fingers crazy flexible. So. It was not exactly the way it looked when we did it. So, <laughs> so we had to adapt a little to our, our needs. And, uh, but he was, he was really good at teaching us then. Fantastic. So now uh, Doctor Strange is about to come out. It's come out now in the country. Today it opens. And Star Wars is next. Mm -hmm. Which in some way is just as crazy. Obviously, are you, are you ready for, the, for that, for the publicity round for that and the craziness that comes with that movie? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, f I'm fairly ready. I'm, I'm in yeah. shape after this, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get a little break and then we'll start over again. And, yeah. and um, I'm looking forward. And what was it about? I mean, obviously, we won't, won't talk about that film in detail, but what was it about that movie, about Star Wars? Was it the same as with Doctor Strange? Yeah, Marvel, so. Star it, Wars. Yes, it is. It's iconic stuff. I mean, I, I don't think... Is there any film franchise that's gone on for that long? Maybe the Bond one? But, yeah. but it's iconic in itself, right? And, and it also revolutionized the whole way of, of doing using CGI and what you, what you were able to put on the big screen. So, and again, we grew up with it. So, so it's just a big honor to be part of that family. And the minute you have that costume on and you're mm. in that world, mm. again, it just yeah. feels surreal. It, it is surreal. It's even more surreal when you're walking on the set and there's a table with 50 uh, Stormtrooper helmets lying there. <laughs> this is when you realize what we're doing. Yeah. We're in Star Wars. Uh, what's next for you after that? A break. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a nap. <laughs> How long? Six months nap? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like the old bears. Mads, it's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Are you going to run around the hotel just no. for old time's sake? No, I'm going to take a sneak nap as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is a hotel. You might as it well. Is. Fantastic. Mads, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, you got so much. It. Thank you. Mads Mikkelsen there talking about what attracted him to the project, a question that I actually <laughs> asked. We've all done it. We've all done it. It happens. 15 Don't years worry. I've been doing this job, Helen. That's usually my best question. <laughs> <laughs> What? No, I'm. I'm okay. not. Yeah. I can't believe I asked that question. <laughs> you can literally during the interview, you can actually hear me dying of shame. It's like that Simpsons moment. You can you stop the tape. Oh, I thought that was the sign of his hair being perfect. <laughs> ah. Okay, so um, let's move on from my shame and embarrassment to uh, movie news. And as per usual, uh, big news broke last week uh, after the podcast went up. Almost immediately after the podcast went up, in fact weird uh, that Donald Glover <laughs> has been cast officially cast has been rumoured for a while as Lando Calrissian in uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's 
Han Solo movie. This makes me furious. Here's why. I don't want to care about a young Han Solo movie. It's a bad idea. <laughs> and yet, then they go and hire Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who I think are geniuses. Yep. And then they hire old Aaron Reich, who I think is really, really good. And then they hire Donald Glover, uh, who I'm really excited by as, as Lando Calrissian. And now I have to look forward to it. And I, oh, oh, mm. oh, it's just infuriating. So, you know, yeah, brilliant. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm furious as well. <laughs> Absolutely furious. This is very, very good casting. It I is. Think. Yeah, you can't really, you can't really argue yeah. with it, can yeah, you? Yeah, I'm with Helen. Yeah. it doesn't sound like a great idea, but but damn but. it, but damn it, if <laughs> but. it doesn't also sound like a great idea. But oh. a lot of charisma in those, you know, four people. Yeah. Yep. I'm still. Everything depends on who the cast is. Chewbacca. That's a big one for me. Yeah, but um, you know, but uh, maybe it'll be that guy, the guy who does them in um, the the new movies. Yes, it, 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 it presumably will. Yeah. Are you available though, Chris? If they call you for Chewbacca, uh, I am available. Uh-huh. I would have to either ride a unicycle or yeah, which I think would be a great way to go. Or or they'd have to put me in a, on a box. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm about. A foot and a half smaller than Chewbacca. Okay. Well, I mean, we we can workshop it. I feel like you know they can make something happen. Yeah. I mean, hey, Hugh Jackman is taller than Wolverine, and that worked out. You mm. could just be a slightly shorter Chewbacca. Yeah. It could work. Chris. Chewbacca. What? what happened? Well, I guess he's younger, right? Yeah. He's younger, so maybe he has had a growth mm. spurt yet, exactly. and he's got some puppy fat. Mm. <laughs> so I think that could work. I mean, we'd have to work around the prequels, but we'll we'll workshop it. It'll be yeah. fine. I've got my voice down. There's as well. nothing that says Wookiees have to age in a you yeah. know in a in a steady manner. Is hey, Han, how's it going? It's amazing, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. If you're listening, mm. Chris will take your call. Why would you be much. on a unicycle? Why wouldn't you be on a Millennium unicycle? Millennium Falcon's about to go into hyperspace. Yeah. Hey, I'm juggling Chewie. Have you seen Chewie? Yeah, he's in the back on the unicycle again. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why, Why not? not? It's, it's a young, it's a younger Chewbacca. Grabs. He is the circus days. The circus days, absolutely. <laughs> Who's to say that uh, Han Solo didn't rescue Chewbacca from a circus? Wow, uh, we, on may have, we may have gotten slightly, just slightly off topic oh, yeah. here. Anyway, so put your trust in the Lord and the Miller. Hey. I say. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be at their lecture this week. They did a uh, the uh, BAFTA have done a series of screenwriting lectures. Recently, the likes of Kenneth Lonergan and Park Chan-wook uh, came in and Marin Ade came in and they, they, they did what I presume, because I wasn't around to see them sadly, are very serious, very straightforward lectures about how screenwriting is a really, really serious art. And then Lord Miller came in and they just, you know, they F'd the whole B up, man. And they just... Ooh, you know, steady. I, yeah, explicit language. Um, and they were really funny, but also really insightful and kind of terrifying in terms of their work ethic. Uh, so I think the transcript of that is somewhere on the BAFTA website or it may be even filmed you may be able to see it so I, I would check that one out but yeah um, the more I hear about this Han Solo movie the more I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful yeah me too damn it Hey, staying in space, yeah. uh, there was slightly less good news uh, this week for Star Trek Discovery, which is the return of Star Trek to its original home on TV. Um, it had already been moved back from January of next year, 2017, to May, um, and that was sort of put down to things still being finessed. Um, as well as the fact that Brian Fuller, who's showrunning, is also working on American Gods. But 
Fuller is now stepping down uh, from the project, presumably because of those clashes, presumably because of just the sheer workload of, of launching two shows. Um, and he'll be replaced by Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Habert, Harberts, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, I apologise, um, who both worked with him previously on Pushing Daisies and Wonderfuls. So um, so we, we actually still don't have, as far as I know, a start date for Star Trek Discovery. So it definitely isn't going to be January. And it's looking a little bit touch and go for, for May, I would have thought. Uh, the cast are not apparently signed, although sets are being constructed. Um, and, uh, yeah. and yeah, the loss of, the loss of Fuller is, is one that's, that's going to be sort of upsetting uh, for, for fans and so on. Yeah. Apparently, <clears throat> Fuller has already helped sort of, and I quote, chart the course of the series. So, you know, you've got to hope that that's, gonna, that's already kind of set things in motion to, mm. to deliver something a little bit different and a little bit exciting for, for Star Trek but I, I'm, I'm really excited to see Star Trek back on TV I think I mean much as I like the, the films mostly um, I, uh, I I do think that there's there's a lot to be said for the TV show format for this particular property just because it's so much or it should be so much about ideas and it gives you a little bit more room to play with those and a little bit more room to develop characters What could be more prestigious and more important than Star Trek? Well, American Gods is also a pretty big deal. So, you know, he's mm. not exactly hurting for work. I do wonder, though, if this means... You know, we obviously spoke to Mans Mikkelsen when I wasn't making an absolute idiot of myself. Um, I, we did talk a little bit about Hannibal, very little bit about Hannibal, um, whether there might be still hope that it might come back. And you never know. The fact that he's no longer doing Star Trek Discovery... Maybe. Uh, which Mikkelsen did not know about. Mm. And none of us knew, it, obviously, at that time. Maybe that means that there might be some life in the old Doctor yet. Maybe. I think that's probably a leap, alas. Yeah. But, I mean, American Gods, as, as we know, um, he's he's seeing that it's not a one-series adaptation of the book. It's definitely a continuing developing project uh, that will be coursed over... over that will be told over the course of several seasons. So, you know, it's it's not that he's shot that and, and is out. It's it's very much still a going concern. So it may just be the, the workload was a little bit too much even for him. But still, bad news for Star Trek and, and let's hope that it's still an awesome show. Yes. Good news Yay. for fans of Shaun the Sheep. Hey. Who isn't? Which is everybody. <clears throat> Shaun the Sheep 2 has been announced and it's going to be live action. La- wait, what? With real sheep. What? what? No, I misread <laughs> that. It's going to be, uh, again, odd man. Oh, thank God. Stop motion, animation. Um, and they're promising... They're promising even greater heights of lunacy for the sequel. Amazing. Which will be impressive, because the first one was pretty mental. It, it is, yeah. Uh, but... Um, that can only be good news because who doesn't I mean, like Shaun the Sheep? I mean, well, is it? I think people who don't have tiny children may not have watched the Shaun the Sheep movie and the Shaun the Sheep TV show <laughs> spin-offs of, of course, Wallace and Gromit. Um, they are really delightful, though. Like the, just the physical comedy. I mean, you know, basically none of the characters speak, but the the physical comedy on that show is just <laughs> wonderful, and and the sort of the character detail they get in those little models. Ah, oh, unbelievably great. funny. Silent and and, and 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 if you love silent movies, yeah. Which you do. Which I love silent movies. <laughs> well, so do you. I do. Don't we all? I mean, th- there's so much wit in the physical comedy. Yeah, there um, is. And uh, so many ideas. So looking forward to that so one. So after Paddington 2 last week and, and you know, mm. Shaun the Sheep 2 this week, it's a good year to be a, a kid who likes British movies, I guess. Kid of any age. And yeah. speaking of 2s, Deadpool 2. Yeah. Now, some slightly worrying news there this week. Yeah. 
Tim Miller has departed the project. Tim Miller, of course, the director of Deadpool, mm-hmm. um, announced originally on this very podcast, and obviously a colossal success. So, so <clears throat> the sequel is no surprise. But what, by all accounts, has happened is that Tim Miller had grander ideas for the sequel. More, I mean, if you saw the first one, which most people seem to have done, that the VFX was a little shonky. It was a little rough around the edges. Ryan Reynolds, the star argues has been arguing that that was part of the charm of the thing and and i'd be inclined to agree with him um tim miller was pushing for a much bigger budget much more of the bells and whistles vfx work and big studio type projectness and um, ryan reynolds um was not in favor and obviously the studio probably weren't either because given the choice between making a cheap film and a really expensive one they're probably usually going to take the uh the, the former option so Tim Miller has departed the project which leaves it currently directorless mm. I would imagine that won't remain the case for long mm-hmm. um, you'd think they could have their pick of quite a few directors for that one well, what's been interesting about this this week is that there is a petition have you seen this a petition no. online to get Quentin Tarantino to direct the movie <laughs> and I have to say I think this is a Black Mirror episode in the making uh, which is, can you imagine the, the misery of a film director forced to direct a film he has no interest in directing because a petition <laughs> had enough signatures to make it legally binding <laughs> that he had to do it. And he's just sitting there going, action. And, yeah. I don't think that's how petitions work, though, Chris. I know, but, you know. Oh, okay. Yes, in Black Mirror. Would in, be. in this Black Mirror episode, it would be. I just find that absolutely uh, ridiculous. I mean, uh, Quentin Tarantino, a man who once famously, for me anyway, because I really remember this quote, uh, like in CGI, uh, he hates CGI. He said, if I want if I want something like that, I'll stick my dick in a Nintendo. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is similar. <laughs> which doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a great quote. Um, it's never going to make a, a comic book movie of that type. Um and then someone else, I think Mark Miller the other day said on Twitter that Edgar Wright would be perfect for it. Um, Edgar Wright is not going to make a comic book movie, I think, after... Uh, Edgar Wright, did you see, he posted a picture on Instagram of him walking his dog on a beach, and it was just it was a beautiful picture of shadows on a beach, essentially, and the first comment was, please direct Deadpool. Yeah, I, I just... And obviously people will now go, he's already directed a comic book movie. Yes, he has, but I mean, after Ant-Man, I don't yeah. think he's going to go there again, do you think? I mean, Major studio comic book movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, there, for was me, a, there was a, a call for Deadpool to <laughs> direct the Deadpool movie. <laughs> yes. Now that, I think, is an exciting prospect. I believe that was my call. Oh, was it? Uh, it was. Yeah, no, I th- yeah, I, th- I think the best way to go with this uh, is something I tweeted the other day, uh, which is Deadpool should direct this. He should direct it himself. Now, I know that that seems unlikely, but go with me. If they can find a director, a patsy, who's willing to just not take a credit and then just pretend to be Deadpool directing this film, because this film, I think, needs to go up all out gonzo craziness. And what better way to do that than have Deadpool direct his own movie? Mm. I think that's the, that's the way to go. Uh, Phil, you've got something, haven't you? But I've got so much stuff. I've got so much stuff it's to ridiculous. talk about. ridiculous. Well, just quickly, um, if you love Mike Banning... And who doesn't? And who doesn't love Mike Banning? Um, well, terrorists. That's terrorists. Who. Anyone from the, <laughs> the from the Republic of Fuck Hedistan doesn't like Mike Banning, but yeah, everyone else that's loves. A direct him. quote. We must say. From yeah, yeah I think that isn't just me being that's, racist. Yeah. That is a quote from uh, London Has Fallen, a movie that made a eye-watering and barely believable nearly two hundred million <laughs> pounds at the box office dollars. At and the most box of that's Jerry Butler going to see it over and over again. Whatever. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, Four for London has fallen. <laughs> Four, 400,000. <laughs> I No, people love these movies. I, for the life of me, don't know why. They see like, Olympus Has Fallen was not good. London Has Fallen was significantly worse. Olympus Has Fallen was, was, was I thought, it was fine. It, it, it was, was no White House down, was it? I, I actually preferred it to White House down. What? I, I preferred the White House down. White House down is infinitely superior to Olympus Has Fallen. It's a better made movie. But yeah. no, but it's a lot more fun. Uh, what has down is yeah, but um, but Olympus has fallen. Had the the line, "Let's play yeah. a game of fuck off." You go first. That and was for a great that line. reason alone. No, it's not. Enough. That is literally the only reason. That's you the like only this reason. Movie. And it was a good. I remember watching it with you, and we both chuckled. Yeah, um, I've, I I just yeah. So anyway, this one's called Angel Has Fallen. So, but it's basically uh, Air Force One goes down, which we've seen before. Uh, in Big Game and we've seen it obviously in Air Force One um, yes uh, I think among others I'm pretty sure there's another couple <gasps> along the same lines so uh, for me they're going to struggle a little bit and and I personally would have maybe preferred it if it was literally just you know Angel Tube Station I mean you could have done it on a smaller budget yes it's retreading some of the same ground as London has fallen but you've got a chance to get the geography of London right this That's, time okay Angel has fallen right it says here an angel has fallen once again, scripted, and it, it doesn't even have uh, air quotes or unscripted, which is very, very nice, by Creighton Rothenberger and Katrine Benedict, who were my two favourite contestants on the Great Bulgarian Existential Bake Off. <laughs> Banning himself becomes the target of a terrorist attack. And this makes sense, because if you were a terrorist, yeah. right, you would want to take out, what's the, the deadliest threat, the number one threat to terrorists in the world today? Is Mike Banning. Is Mike Banning. So... You would target him, wouldn't you? Absolutely. You would, I mean, you would go after him. He's the only thing standing between these these evil terrorists and total global domination. Yeah. yeah. The only reason this He's podcast is, is coming to people now is because Mike Bannon is out there patrolling the streets of London. We need him on that wall. We do. <laughs> Angel I'd, I, Yeah, I'd vote for Mike Bannon. Uh, you know, it may be... He may not be able to run for president because he clearly isn't from America, but... <laughs> I think I think I would vote for him. He'd be great. So anyway, Angel has fallen. Uh, its production is expected to begin in the first half of 2017, and if the production values of the previous movies are anything to go by, it should be finished by the first half of 2017. So we hope we can watch it by next summer. I'm excited oh, about Chris. this. It's going to be the the best. It's going to be. Let's be honest. The best worst movie of 2018. And if you're not excited about that, then I, I, <laughs> I pity you. I pity you. Yes. Yeah. You've got no joy in your heart. Yeah. If you're not excited by the prospect of Joe Butler punching random foreign people in the face, I hope he punches a plane. Dabbing. I hope it's some domestic terrorists this time, just to mix it up. Yeah. There you go. I see. Yeah. But with politics. Yeah. Well, of course we had mm. we had Dylan McDermott, didn't we? The, well, we did. Yeah. We've had a couple of yeah, yeah, but you know, but not just co-conspirators, but actual full-on actual full-on bad, terrorists. Yeah. Badens. Yeah. Hey, uh, there's Pixar news. Uh, which we should probably talk about. Um, Pixar release date news, the very best sort of Pixar news. It's my favourite release date news. It's amazing. (coughs) Uh, So they've essentially swapped two release dates. So The Incredibles 2 will be arriving in June 2018, at least in America. It's usually about a month later for us here because apparently Pixar hates us and wants us to suffer. It's the reverse Marvel. Yeah. Um, and Toy Story 4 will then shift back into The Incredibles 2's original date in 2019. So that's June 2019, again, probably July here. So uh, 
at the moment, the schedule runs as follows. Next year, 2017, we're going to have Cars 3 and the Day of the Dead themed Coco from Lee Anchorage. Uh, then The Incredibles 2 in 2018 and Toy Story 4 in 2019. I don't know if there's going to be maybe a second hit in 2018 or 2019, another original movie, but at the moment, that's our lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's really good news just that we'll see Incredibles a little bit, a little bit sooner, and it obviously suggests that that f- film is is well on, that the story's in good shape, that they're kind of moving it up that way. Um, but yeah, uh, that is the current state of play. Shea Pixar. Boom. Just quickly, because yeah. we have a big uh, another thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, there's been a the announcement of a untitled Alexander McQueen project. Mm. Now, Alexander McQueen, as everyone probably knows, was a uh, fashion designer, um, sort of enfant terrible of British fashion, Absolutely chief more. designer at Givenchy, <laughs> and uh, he's going to be played by Jack O'Connell, which straight away to me seems really good casting. Yeah, now for those out there who are thinking Jack O'Connell looks nothing like a fashion designer, you need to look up a picture of Alexander McQueen because it's actually spot on casting for him they look yeah they, they there is a immediate physical resemblance which always helps with a kind of semi biopic uh, but you don't need it no Viz, but- Michael Fassbender is Steve Jobs yeah oh Steve Jobs I haven't talked about that for a while <laughs> um, and uh, uh, but, but 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 the fiery intense troubled tortured man that was Alexander McQueen I think plays into Jack Jack O'Connell's kind of acting wheelhouse yes definitely not to make him sound too much like a ship um, and uh uh, there are elements of the Alison McQueen story that do sound a little bit like offcuts from Zoolander. Um, <laughs> his Highland Rape collection was notorious. It was. It's actually. I mean, there's some beautiful clothes in Don't that get collection. Me wrong. Um, I went to the exhibition at the V&A a couple of years ago. The, the clothes are gorgeous. The, the name of the collection maybe not so great, but carry yeah, on. it's very Nathan Barley sounding, isn't it? Yes. Um, but yeah, he he died um, tragically in 2010. But it's going to be this film is going to be set in the lead up, sort of Steve Jobs style. Mm. Was my second reference in the podcast. Today. This is amazing. <laughs> in 2009, so it's you got make kind it up of a, for last time, Phil. Yeah, I know it's incredible. Um, so it's going to be in the lead up to that, to that, to this famous show that he did in 2009, okay. um, showing his creative process. So it's not going to be the full story, but um, it should be plenty of uh, plenty of dramatic. Peter yeah. Mullen once told me that he bought uh, an Alexander McQueen jumper from TK Maxx that he was reading <laughs> through the clothes and he found one that was worth three hundred pounds down to thirty, and I hope they have that in the movie. Wow. Well, I'm, yeah. If you told me that Peter Mullen invested in a pair of Alexander McQueen bumsters, I would have. It would have. That would certainly be a look. You need to explain what bumsters are. To yes, no. I, I, I went completely blank there. What the hell? Bumsters. What's bumsters? I, I, am I right, Helen? I'm looking at you here. Is this, he invented a sort of a low cut jean? Yes. Like half crack. So. Yes. Half jean. Are they the ones you wear? Because your your builder's <laughs> crack is on display in the office mm-hmm. more than I care to remember. I don't know what's happening there. It's 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 really quite something. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. I buy myself a pair of dungarees <laughs> or something. <laughs> Phil sits there? directly behind me in the office. Uh, yeah. and sometimes I turn around and it's it's like uh, oh, have you come to fix the pipes? It's, it's my, a little bit like that. It's my autumn derelict collection. <laughs> I come to fix the pipes. It's a very nice bottom fill. I oh, just God. don't necessarily oh. want to see it. There's a new issue this week. There is a new hey. issue. Yay! A new issue of Empire Time. Yes, yes, indeedy. It's on sale now in all good and evil news agents. But 
But there's a twist. There is. Ooh. If you go to certain Sainsbury's stores, and they, uh, the, there is a map online uh, on on our Twitter feed, and I believe on the website, uh, you have the chance to get an amazing video cover because this is the cover for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is obviously out in November, um, and we have got. With a huge amount of help from Warner Brothers and J.K. Rowling herself, we have an incredible video cover um, designed in in the fashion of a Wizarding World newspaper uh, and with, with sort of contemporary stories to the story of Fantastic Beasts there on the cover and then video that plays inside it to give you that real Wizarding World feel. It's uh, it's really cool. It's super cool. And judging by the way that the limited edition Kylo Ren magazine's Sold out. You're going to have yeah. to get in there quick if you want a chance to get one. So I've got loads of those at home. Uh, Chris, no. Stockpiled no, them. No, I've, I've, got, like, I've got dozens. We aren't allowed one. Dozens. Never mind dozens, No, I've got, I've got loads. They're, 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 they're filed under rainy day. That's the pension. <laughs> Am I not meant Chris, to say this? Oh you're really? No, I've Chris, maybe got hundreds. put them back. We're going to need you to put oh. them back. I'm going to tell Terry. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, we can cut this bit out. Those weren't for you. Anyway, uh, we also have, if you can't get that, don't despair because the, the magazine itself is, is a great, great issue. Nick has done, I'm very jealous because I wanted to go on set, but Nick went on set and he has done a, a fantastic job. He spoke to everyone. He got all the secrets that could be gotten from them uh, about Fantastic Beasts. Um, we've got some gorgeous art that shows you the beasts for the first time, inc- including the Thunderbird on the cover. And if you're a subscriber, you're going to get that gorgeous Thunderbird cover particularly, uh, which I'm quite jealous of because I don't get one. Um, And that's just the tip of the iceberg inside the issue. We have a huge amount more. Yes, we do. We have other great things. So many great things. You don't know, do you, Chris? I'm so glad you asked. Um, No. Okay. I don't have an issue to hand. (laughs) Aaron Eckhart was the big interview this month. He's obviously got two big films coming out, Bleed for This and Sully. He's getting a lot of Oscar buzz, especially for the first one. Um, So there's a a really interesting photo shoot with him inside. Is it true that the phone call for Angel Has Fallen arrived halfway through the interview and he immediately (laughs) lobbed his phone out the window? No, that is not the case, filibuster, as you know. He wouldn't throw his phone out the window. He'd be excited and jazzed to reprise the role of President Benjamin Asher. (laughs) I can't believe you remember his name. (laughs) <laughs> no, neither can I. Aaron, please report to set. We need to handcuff you to a railing for the duration. I interviewed Amara Sante about the United Kingdom, the film that opened this year's London Film Festival. It was yes. a... Well, really, she taught through the, the, the process of making this movie in, uh, in the 50-degree heat of Botswana. So mm. if you want to get behind the scenes on a fairly um, classical kind of romantic historical drama... Uh, that's the place to do it. Mm-hmm. We also have, um, uh, in the time with Fantastic Beasts, we have the 30 best Harry Potter characters, which we all voted, or you all voted for, and we uh, divided up the writing between ourselves. Um, as well as that, we look back at the original uh, Batman, or at least the original uh, Adam West Batman, 50 years later, which is uh, a really fun piece. We go inside the mind of Nicolas Cage and find some interesting stuff inside. Did we get out um, again? Well, that would be a spoiler. Uh, We look back at Donnie Darko. Uh, We've taken a look at Netflix's The Crown. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, as well as all the stuff, uh, review, Chris, that's your section. You want to talk about Neon Demon? Yeah, I can never remember what's in the the magazine. It's good stuff. Kess is in there. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, So we've got got a story. This isn't... Just get the whole magazine. It's great. But we've got uh, Adam West talking about the 1960s Batman. We've got Ken Loach on Kez, which is fantastic. Uh, We've got Nicholas Winding Refn taking us through the Neon Demon 
Freeman. Uh, one thing I really, really like in, in Empire recently, we've launched a new thing called the First Take Club, uh, which is a complete and shameless ripoff of the brilliant Ram Album Club from, from Twitter, yeah. where people listen to albums that they've never heard before and they write about them. Um, a guy called Martin Fitzgerald runs that. It's absolutely amazing. Some of the best writing you will find in music anywhere. So I ripped that off with... It has to be said, Martin's blessing. Okay. Got in touch with Martin, first of all. Can we do this? Yes, you can do this. Thank you very much, Martin. Nice guy. Thank you very much. Um, and so we get interested people to write about films they haven't seen before. So this month, really happy with this, Ian Rankin, the the uh, creator of the Rebus novels, uh, talks about Amelie. So, you know, there's loads of good stuff in yeah. there. Uh, also, in the preview section, you should be aware we've got a look at Passengers. Um, so if you're a fan of Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, like most of the planet, get after that. Mm-hmm. And M. Night Shyamalan talks about Split. We yes. just had the trailer launch on, online this week. We didn't talk about that, but well worth a look as well. If I were interested in, for instance, a, look, a, a new look at uh, Keanu Reeves' action movie, John Wick 2. You would also would that find be, that, yeah. You should mention that because then I'll just go off on one about John Wick for ages and that that's that's a dangerous thing to do. John Wick, yay! Yay. Uh, so lots of great stuff inside the issue, as Chris Evans once said, and it's available now in all good and evil news agents and, of course, on the iPad as well. Okay, time now for our second guest this week. He is one of our favourite American actors. He's been in the podcast before. He's a man who almost always makes strong and compelling choices. And even when the choices aren't that compelling, he's often the best thing in them. His latest is Tom Ford's second movie, Nocturnal Animals. He is, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal. And he was speaking to John Nugent. Enjoy. Jake Gyllenhaal, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Welcome back to the Empire Podcast. Yes, thank you for having me again. How are you? I'm well, yeah. I'm good, good yeah. We're, we're obviously we're here to talk about uh, nocturnal animals. You you play sort of dual roles in this film. You play sort of a Texan author, but also a character in, in one of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to know, like, what's what's that like as an actor? Sort of is that technically challenging to distinguish those performances? Uh, no, not in this case. I mean, in this case, I think sort of an evolution of a character as put in different order. Um, uh, in a way the main character that I play is in a way a figure imagine figure of uh, Amy Adams' character's imagination. Mm. So he's sort of a fictional character. Um, and then the other character is the guy who wrote the book, you know, so yeah. that he's in. Um, so really he's a younger version too of the writer. So really it's sort of an evolution of age. It's not sort of the same character in a lot of ways. So they are, one is fictional and one is supposedly non-fictional in right. a fictional story. Right. Yeah. They're sort of subtly linked, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, it's interesting because you've played dual roles before in, in Enemy. Did you approach that in a different way? Was that like a, a more technically challenging? Yeah, it was because in that movie I was, I was acting with myself. I think that was kind of the most interesting aspect of it for me, besides working with Denis Villeneuve. It was, I think it was that I was able to explore what it was like to um, sort of play across from my own choices, play across from my own instinct. Um, And that, that was fascinating. Using my imagination to sort of communicate with myself um, is, is very different than a character that is a creation of you, in the case of nocturnal animals, you know. Yeah. Do you get paid more for playing two roles in one film? No. No. No, no conversation. I've gotten paid a lot less, I think, for playing two roles. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you're not getting you're not getting as much value for money. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic of discussion. <laughs> you could be a very good negotiator. I've never even thought of that. 
Um, th- this film sort of explores uh, responsibility and culpability and uh, masculinity in a way. Um, I read in one review, the last person you want to meet if you're worried about your masculinity is Michael Shannon in a cowboy hat. Um, what, what, what's it like playing opposite him in this sort of full sheriff mode? You know, I, I play a character who doesn't really have um, a lot of not your quintessential uh, idea of masculinity that I play. I have very, I don't really act upon, you know, my instincts in a way. My instinct in this movie is um, taken from me uh, as a character. So I was playing a character that didn't really have much um I don't know, I guess you could say drive. And so, and Michael's character really does. Like, it's Mm. always a joy to play opposite Michael, you know? I mean, I have had the opportunity to do different readings with him and act with him, and I've known him for many years. So it's, you know, he's incredible. But, you know, as actors, I think, and the way that we approach what we do, we're very similar. I am not my character, and neither is he. So, but um, in terms of working with him, it's always a joy. Uh, Interesting, I noticed... um this, there's a sort of mini Donnie Darko reunion on this film because Jenna Malone uh, is in, although you don't mm-hmm. share the, the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had a chance to, like, did you have a chance to meet her on set or during the press tour at all? No, I didn't. But Jenna's actually really incredible in this movie. Yeah. It's, like, sort of very striking, her, yeah. her scenes in this movie. And she's just... She's quite an extraordinary human. Um has always been um through the years i mean that was a long time ago when we worked together but yeah i was i i didn't even know that she was in the movie oh wow until i saw the film yeah yeah well i mean it's got a quite an amazing cast really isn't it you've got these amazing actors in tiny roles like um laura linney yeah yeah amy adams mother is just incredible yeah uh, you know, she's only on screen for like three minutes and, yeah, and yeah. You know, steals the show almost. Yeah. Yeah, I did want to ask just a little bit about uh, Donnie Darko because it's been 15 years now and in an yeah, upcoming issue of Empire, we're doing a retrospective. Yes. Do you ever get an inkling that films will be talked about, you know, 15 years hence? I don't think you have any perspective on anything until it's 15 years later, you know, and you <laughs> yeah. don't think you know what anything's going to be until that time has actually passed. I mean, I, I, um, I, we knew at the time that what we were making was special. I mean, um, you've, I mean, I've been lucky enough to feel that way about almost every film I've made. You also know when things aren't working and, you know, it's almost like covering your eyes to watch a crash at times, you know, but there, but in the case of that one, I think it was saying something very special. I think the essence of it was, I think the group of people that were gathered to make it were very particular and really individual in their own right, all from many different facets of, you know, the industry, like all the actors, different styles, and it's just sort of a fascinating group of people. So I think we did feel like it was special when we were making it, but, you know, that people would be talking about it 15 years later, or that, the, you know, that Empire would write a piece on it 15 years later about what it is, and that I would be asked in so many interviews about it, you know, over the many years that I've been doing interviews, yeah. like, um, is incredible. I, I never expected that. Does it still come up then? Is it still a common question? Just Every single interview I've really? done today, yeah. Every single one? Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm sorry to... I haven't done that many, but yeah. still, every single one, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, sorry to be so predictable. No, I think you're right in that it's like there's some anniversary of it, so people yeah. are sort of interested in it. Yeah. And I also think that in the UK in particular, 
there was a real support. It yes. was the first place that it was really recognized as something special. Yeah. It had been released in the U.S. and then no one had really paid that much of that much attention. And then it came here, and I was doing a show on the West End, and I remember I went to do press after I wrapped finished that show, and. Um, I was doing press for Donnie Darko and I just felt this strange sort of groundswell here in a different way than when I had gone and done it in America. Yeah. And then it just took off from there. Another one of those films, Nightcrawler. I just wanted to ask uh, if you felt a sense of injustice at not being nominated for an Oscar. I know obviously it's not about the awards, but a lot of people felt that was the best performance of that year. And injustice? I mean, I I think awards generally, just as they are, are inherently like sort of strangely unjust process yes. you know um, but real injustice is out there in the world in many more important yeah, right. many more significant ways um, I mean I, I I to think about um, the subject matter of that movie in my opinion it felt like it just hit too close to home probably you know it probably just was saying a little bit too much about the business in general yeah so maybe people just didn't necessarily like respond to that. Yeah. Um, I'm always surprised at how people respond to me like the last character I played or something. Like if I have short hair and it's cut short hair, then people come up to me on the street and say, oh, yeah, I really liked you in Jarhead. Or <laughs> like if my hair is longer, or yeah. I look a certain way, I have a beard. Like yeah. there's another movie reference. You know, it's like, I, I, I think I really think the process of all these things is the result of these processes that I've been involved in is not really not um, anything I can ever wrap my head around because all I have is the movie that I make yes. and the process of that and then you know so often people ask me about like you know the result and if you're not directing the film the result is not in your control yeah. and the experience you shot on a movie is the only thing you have from it yeah. and the response people have to it's nice yeah. and if somebody like acknowledges you for that performance that's nice and I'm grateful but um, I'm just like all I want to do is keep working you know yeah. so that's my concern <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, fair I mean enough. that really is my concern I mean yeah. um, I've been down the path of being interested or sort of like fascinated with that whole sort of sense of awards or things like that. And, and I think in the end, um, it's an honor if you are acknowledged, but it can also be like a very, very complicated thing. My brother-in-law said to me once, he said, um, what's confusing about being a, a movie actor in particular is that you give a performance and then a year later it comes out and then people respond to it and you're no longer the character anymore. Yeah. You're so far from the character you played yeah. or any relationship to it. And yet people are complimenting you on this thing that you've done yeah. and you can mistake it for yourself. Yeah. You can mistake the compliments that people give you for like something that is inherently you or something and it's not something you did a year ago that is no longer you anymore and people like it not you yeah and i think that's where people get very confused and i think that's actually um i think that's like so if you talk about nightcrawler like i am so deeply profoundly um proud of that movie and not just as an actor but like as a producer of that film and the filmmaking and 
what it was and Dan Gilroy and his ability to have made this film like out of the gate and written this extraordinary script. And like, I think you'll talk to anybody who makes movies, really makes movies and just making a movie that's good is fucking impossible. Yeah. So when you do that, you're like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, everything else is sort of just ego. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, I mean, it takes a lot of ego to make a good movie, but yeah. everything else after that really is that. I mean, yeah. Roger Ebert, I think, said something like, every film is a miracle. You know, it's a miracle that you actually make it at all. So for it to be a good film is a miracle times 10, I guess. I think that's why he had such a wonderful relationship with so many filmmakers, mm. because I think he could acknowledge the piece of their hearts that they have to put into it. So, I mean, you... You're an established actor now, obviously. You you could be in any sort of blockbuster, but we, we see time and again you're in the more interesting movies or the more challenging movies or the more the, the smaller movies sometimes. I mean, can you explain what's your sort of methodology on how you select a script, on how you, how you choose your next step? I, I don't think there is any. I think, though, I look at the... I don't just look at a script or a director. I... I do not believe that a movie is made only by a director or only because of a great script. I think that I choose a lot of the time based on four or five different aspects, which is primarily cinematographer, uh, cinematographer and editor. And, uh, usually with a director that you really love and respect comes a great cinematographer and editor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I think you can make a great movie out of a pretty good script, and you can make a bad movie out of a great script, yeah. and you can make a great movie out of a great script too. Yeah. But it is a, it has to start from fundamentally from a really interesting place. Sometimes there are pretty good scripts that have fundamentals that are really really strong, and then a great group of people to bring them out. Yeah. And so I choose I choose my movies based on that size or no size it's based on that it's based on a feeling of whether or not i can use uh, my knowledge of the film industry not just directors and movies they've made but um my personal obsession with cinematographers and my opinion that they really do uh make a movie they really are they really the difference between something good and great in my opinion i would attribute seamus mcgarvey in this movie um, to a lot of that, not just in terms of the visuals. I think they sort of, we tend to as an audience go, oh, it's, it's, it looks so beautiful. But it, storytelling, this is a visual medium. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, storytelling is told through that and what you see and what you don't see, which is eventually what the editor does. So that's how I choose, you know. I try, I'm sort of like a full, full crew actor. Like, I, right. you know, like I, I, the, I see the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I don't just go like, oh, that person's shooting it. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. I go like, who, who, uh, who, who's shooting it? <laughs> and and then I will make my decision. You know. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, it's a collaborative art, isn't it? Yeah, I'm surprised in such a collaborative art how mm. hard it is for some of so much so many of us to collaborate. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time we have, Jake. But thank you so yeah. much for your time. Please thank you. Come back anytime. All right, man. Thanks. Cheers. Okay, so that's Jakey G. Nocturnal Animals is out next week, I believe. Isn't that right? I believe so. It's not out this week anyway. That's for sure. Because okay. you know what? You know what? Yes. 
There's one movie out this week. Well, actually, there's loads. But there's there's, there's one movie out that most big studios are running from, and it's Doctor Strange. Marvel's Doctor Strange, the 14th movie in the MCU. We will have a spoiler special about this with uh, four of us idiots talking about the movie in great detail, and also a very in-depth interview with director Scott Derrickson. That is, as we always do with the spoiler specials, it's being held back until the US release date. Uh, so we're, it's probably going to be up around November 7th yeah so keep an eye out for the spoiler special coming up in the meantime let's talk about Doctor Strange is the good doctor the good doctor he's pretty good actually yeah um, so this is an origin story be warned but um, we start off with uh, Doctor Stephen Strange a New York neurosurgeon uh, taking all the cases that are super challenging enough to have stumped everybody else but not quite so challenging that they're completely impossible and will destroy his 100% record Um, unfortunately the quite arrogant uh, but certainly very gifted doctor uh, gets into a car crash in his ridiculous sports car and uh his hands are badly damaged to the extent where he they shake and he can't continue in his profession. Uh, he, you know, he goes through the options in Western medicine to try and fix them. Obviously, he's in that awkward position of knowing how bad the damage is because that is literally his whole his whole life. Um, and when that fails, he follows a sort of a, a frankly a wild goose uh, to. Nepal to Kathmandu uh, in search of the Temple of Kamartaj, where uh, another man tells him that he was healed of his uh, nerve injury, his spinal cord injury in that that case. Um, So what Strange finds there, it will not entirely shock you to know if you know anything about the character, is the Ancient One, played here by Tilda Swinton. And uh, she is the leader of a, a group of essentially magicians who protect the world against threats from other dimensions uh, with the help of the great Soprendo <laughs> thank no. you uh, with the help of Master Mordo one of oh, her yeah. chief uh, sort of disciples if you will played by Chutel Ejiofor and the librarian played by Benedict Wong whose name is also Wong uh, Strange begins to pick up this this uh, discipline begins to learn these mystical arts and uh, discovers a world that is larger than he is uh, which is just as well because Mads Mikkelsen is lurking yeah. his sense of timing is excellent as we said <laughs> Ma- Master Caecilius oh, has gone rogue he has uh, with some with some acolytes of his own and the, he is yeah. determined including Scott Adkins Scott Adkins, Scott Adkins. Scott Adkins. Uh, and he is determined to cause mischief. Uh, so, uh, so that's the way things go. So, anyway, this is—I mean, yes—the story is something we've basically seen before in outline. Yes, there are similarities to be drawn, probably unfairly, but they are nevertheless there with the likes of Sherlock and characters that Benedict Cumberbatch has played before. Um, but you have never seen anything like this. Uh, the 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 fight scenes in this movie, the the, the use of powers, the effects. I mean, it sounds really damning with faint praise at this point to say that a blockbuster on this scale has great effects, but this has jaw-droppingly great effects. This You have genuinely never seen this before. Um, I mean, I think when the trailers came out, everybody was a bit like, oh, it's just Inception. Oh, well, I have very strong feelings about that. I know that. you do, but like Inception, you know, a city folded up a bit. In this... <laughs> yeah, precisely. Uh, and it never really mattered. In this, uh, the, the city basically dances, like crazy yeah. stuff happens, and it, but it, it, it actually happens so beautifully that you can kind of tell what's going on. Yeah. This is not... Uh, just a, a you know a random festival of craziness. There's craziness with a purpose, and it is yeah. gorgeously done. Well, also, are we so jaded as moviegoers that we look at an astonishing, fully realised 
uh, effect sequences and go, that looks a little bit like something that happened nine years ago, seven years ago. Seven years ago? Seven years ago. I mean, we're really that jaded. I mean, it's one element of Inception that that movie does not follow up on in any way, shape or form. And it's just to the nth degree in this movie. It's like, um, I genuinely believe Inception is the sketch and this is the sculpture. Like, it it just goes so much further. Oh, there's more. There's more than just folding Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As well. Yes. Well, I felt, I, mm, I, yeah, I, to a point, I mean, one of the things I like, I liked about Inception, which this film doesn't do, is it does ground it more in, in the practical, in the real world. Um, you do feel like, I thought the best, the best action sequence in this movie is the first one for me, um, when it really does blow you away. Uh, the one that Helen's talking about is pretty spectacular, but I find it difficult, even in, with the really good 3D to wrap my head around what's happening. I feel like Inception does does uh, repeat the, the sort of motif of uh, gravitational sort of shifts uh, throughout the movie and, and the different layers. It does make sense. It's weaved into the plot. And the, and the Isha uh, inspiration. I mean, you can see from the way that this movie was originally so- has been sold through the trailers that there is a lot of Christopher Nolan, the Batman Begins in there as well. And a lot of Inception. That, I, I agree with you. I don't. That doesn't put you off seeing it because it's, it's very much its own thing. Um, I, I, I did feel like sometimes the VFX can be somewhat overwhelming in this in these Marvel movies. I, I always I don't, see, I, I don't almost the always enjoy the first half more than the second half. I um, see. I think this is this is interesting because something like Civil War for me, I much preferred the characters to. The fighting. I thought the fighting was excellent, but I was actually there for those characters. And in this case, I was actually, if anything, I was a little bit let down by the characters. Really? Not not to a huge extent. I think there's a lot of potential there, and I could absolutely grow to love them in in future films. But uh, but what this one did right, I thought was was all those kind of the the, spe- the spectacle. I agree that the visuals are, are very much his forte and and it is it is an incredible experience you should see on the biggest screen you can. Yeah. Um, and in I'm not 3D, I'm not actually. trying to dismiss any of that. I really enjoyed it. I just find that um Marvel movies are at their strongest with the character interchanges. They always have great actors. Yeah. They I always have really well chosen actors. In this case, I think Tilda Swinton is fantastic. She brings her own energy to this film, yeah. which which counterbalances what's going on around her and mm. adds this sort of weird zen calm to the mayhem, um, which works perfectly. They're so well cast and, and often the writing is so sharp and there's a lot of great laughs in this. The little character moments between Cumberbatch and Benedict Wong, for instance, yeah. are the things that I enjoy the most. When you get into the final third and you have this big showdown between Cumberbatch and, and, and Mick who yeah. I felt slightly poorly delineate drawn mm. and, and um, his motives it's a great it's a great scene though especially when Doctor Strange asks what attracted you to the project <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I agree I, with that I think I think you're absolutely right I mean I, I, one of the reasons that you know you and I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. so far um, is the character interactions the, the characters are ones that you really really love and uh, even in something like Ant-Man which is a flawed movie but those characters pop right away and they're such you know so memorable Michael Peña is great enough film and I feel that this is um, probably more dominated by the central character than any Marvel movie since Iron Man I would agree with that and Cumberbatch as I've said in the podcast I was worried going into this I I wasn't entirely convinced but he's very very good in this uh, and does convince me but I think it's to the detriment of the other characters that the other characters don't quite pop and they don't quite sizzle and they don't quite work together as well 
as uh, previous Marvel movies. Uh, but again, as you say, hopefully in future installments we'll we'll get to know them a little bit better. Yes, but I mean, I, yeah, if but you were to list the the characters in 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 level in sort of levels of detail in how well sketched they are, Cumberbatch is there's a big drop off, and then you have some of you know Tilda Swinton and Baron Mordor, and then you have. An it's just more though. There's no barons. No baron. No barons. Yeah, they, baron honestly, you know, there's Baron Simo, Baron Strucker, Baron Mordo in the comics. None of them are barons in, the, com- barons. in, the, in the films. Okay. Uh, what is Marvel going against barons? It's a baron spell, if you ask me. <laughs> oh. Oh. But then, but then you Hang know, on, I've got to drop my microphone. It would have. It would have really ramped things up if you'd felt like Mickelson and his hench people were given a bit more detail. Rachel McAdams again, a bit more detail. Oh, she's. Yeah, she is hugely, actress, badly wow. underserved. She should has we, nothing to do. Should yes. we talk about this in the spoiler special? Oh, I'm so, yes, Let's absolutely. Do this. But anyway, I, I took, I, I, we gave it four stars, and I, I would go along with that. It's a four-star visual experience. I think it's a five-star visual experience, probably a three-star <laughs> story experience, and I'm happy with four stars in between. I think that's a five-star review. You're a, three, <laughs> you're a three-star. Yeah, it's, it's a fine, solid addition to the MCU. Uh, it is not as good as Civil War, I would say but it is uh, a very entertaining blockbuster indeed. So, four stars for Doctor Strange. Uh, And also up this week, we have the South Korean zombie smash, Train to Busan. Yes, this is... This really, really, really impressed me. Uh, It is pretty much all there in the title and the and the sort of blurb uh, but uh, a businessman takes his daughter on a trip to visit her mother that's what she wants for her birthday so he takes the morning off work to deliver her via this very normal very familiar looking intercity train uh, and unfortunately one of the last people to run through the doors as the train is leaving is infected with a zombie plague oh no don't you just hate it when that happens um so that person obviously succumbs. Uh, there is no escape from such things. Uh, and very, very, very fast indeed, uh, a whole lot of other people follow. Uh, I mean, think of the trains with the, you know, the sliding glass doors and the complete lack of zombie proofing. It's a bad, bad place to be stuck with a horde of ravening beasts uh, and that is the situation in which our heroes find themselves so they're I mean they're kind of stock characters but uh, who cares it's it's an amazing amazing film it's kind of it's been described as I think the raid but horizontal uh, which is not unfair mm-hmm. um, it's been uh, compared obviously to Snowpiercer another great South mm-hmm. Korean train movie uh, equally fair uh, it is really good and what's impressive is that they've actually found new ways to do zombies so these are fast zombies uh, or infected if you are still making that distinction Uh, but it does certainly have shades of 28 days later Um, but they have some interesting uh, twists that I hadn't seen before and that makes it quite quite fascinating so some of the ways that you can kind of get past them or get around them are are genuinely fresh and genuinely interesting and and that was that was quite exciting to watch it was a huge hit in South Korea it deserves to be a big hit here I believe it's on practically no cinemas up and down the country so if you're not in London it might be difficult to get to but uh, if you're if you're a zombie cinema fan you should definitely yep. seek this out absolutely violent and funny and dark and surprising and yeah 
We yeah. really stuff. Four stars. Four stars. Four yeah. stars for Train to Busan. Uh, also out this week, there's a there's a group of films. Check the uh, Empire website for full reviews and star ratings. We have the likes of Ethel and Ernest, which stars Jim Broadbent, Pam Ferris, and Brenda Bleth, and we gave that three stars. There's also Starfish, which has Joanne Froggett and Tom Riley teaming up. Uh, check the the website for a full review for that one. A reissue of John Singleton's fantastic Boys in the Hood as well uh, from the BFI as part of their Black Star season. So there's a lot of uh, stuff to watch as well. Doctor Strange obviously came out in June. Tuesday. Once again, the spoiler special for that is going to be out on Monday, November 7th. Unless things change, do keep checking our Twitter feed, our personal Twitter feeds, as well as the Empire One, uh, for any updates on that. Um, and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Hurrah. Hooray. Or boo, you know. Whatever. Or boo. It's up to you. It's yeah. entirely up to you. But I think the people at home, they'll, and they, I think I know where they're going. Hurrah. Join us next week for more family-related fun when we'll be joined by the director of The Light Between Oceans, Derek C. in France. So, all very interesting indeed. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And I'm off to get my box set of the great Bulgarian existential bake-off. See where Sean Paul is doing. This week he's putting wine into a Victoria sandwich. Is, is it going to work? Probably not. No. Yeah. Sommelier de glove. That's what he says. <laughs> no. No. Hang on. Maybe if you made like a syrup with the wine and poured it over the top of the sponge. Do you think? Yeah. That might work. Mm. Mm, The sweet sommelier of success. See you next week. Bye.